0: hello welcome to the tbd podcast um my name is ria and this is the first episode i'm not sure what i'm gonna call this podcast uh i'm sure by the time i put it online i'll figure out what i want to call it but uh so this is a art podcast um it's still very much in the making so i'm not entirely sure you know, if there's going to be a theme or if I'm gonna just kind of go with the flow or even like what I'm going to talk about for the most part. But I guess if I had to say, I would probably, I think this is going to be a very film-based podcast. It's going to be movies, maybe a TV show or book or music, maybe as like a supplemental. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I think this is going to be a podcast about films and I wanted my first episode to be about 2022 and my top films of 2022 top 10 to be exact with some honorable mentions um so I guess I would start off by saying 2022 why watch movies you know there's so many things you can do other than watch movies but I still feel like Film for me has always just been the top tier kind of art form for me. I think what makes film so powerful is that you can take every other aspect of art, you know, costume design, production, uh, score, music, you can take music, words, you know, visual arts, performance and combine them all into one thing to deliver a message or a story or just even a feeling or a mood, like an entire film can, can, it can't, sometimes it doesn't even mean anything. It can just be a mood or a feeling. And I think that that feeling or mood or message or whatever can take you and it can transform your own life. So that's why I still watch movies in 2022. That's why I guess I could say I love movies in general. um. But most people don't. Most people don't watch movies is what I found. Most people can't sit through it. You know, there's other forms of entertainment. There's a lot more out there. There's YouTube. There's there's even podcasts you can listen to. Um, but I still think movies are just always going to be, for me, the top tier kind of form of art that can exist. Maybe they'll find something or create something new. But as of now, I really do believe that. Okay, so I'm going to start, I think, talking about this year in film. So, 2022 kind of felt like, almost like we were starting the engine up again. You know, 2019, I remember, was a really strong year for film. There were, like, all these movies like Parasite and Uncut Gems and Little Women. And movies were really, 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 you know, they were... They were going on an uphill trajectory, I would say. But then, obviously, the big bad COVID happens. And 2020 definitely felt like a standstill. It was impossible to watch a movie. It was impossible to for movies even to be in production. And it's kind of been feeling like that up until, I would say, this year. You know, 2021, there were a couple good releases. I would like to highlight Titan or Titane. I hear people call it Titan in No Titan in France. I think that's how you're actually supposed to say it. But um, you know, there was Dune also. So like movies were going in upward having an upward trajectory, but this year I would say is not only the year that movies like came back, but they didn't they didn't come back. That was the thing. They didn't come back. It showed who was left, you know? Marvel movies, okay, everyone went and watched Marvel movies. Everyone wanted to see Marvel movies, but all those other movies, the smaller movies, they were either completely forgotten about or a small fan base was still left, uh, still dedicated to watching movies. And I think people are going to have to come to terms with that fact and maybe either try to, you know, restore movies back to their old, you know, the popular like Friday night, like super busy in the movie theater, that kind of thing. Or just embrace streaming and the fact that maybe people don't really watch movies that much. So, and it was interesting actually seeing these films and seeing, you know, what films were popular, what films, you know, made money, which ones didn't, all that kind of stuff. So that was a little side tangent, I guess, about movies and the state of cinema. But I'm going to start off with my honorable mentions. I have a couple and then I'm going to go into my top 10. Okay. So the first film on this list is actually Scream or Scream 5. I'm not really sure. It's stylized either way, so I guess you can call it either one. But I really love the movie. I love the Scream franchise. I just watched all of them for the first time last year. And I really loved how it was able to balance so, like self referential postmodernism and at the same time be a slasher movie be a fun you know movie where everyone goes around getting scared hiding places all that kind of stuff cuz i'm not a really big horror movie person but as time has gone on i've come to appreciate for a lot more uh i still don't like like really dark disturbing stuff but stuff like scream i watched halloween for the first time that kind of stuff is, like, great, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of art in suspense, you know, when to show stuff, when not to show stuff. There's so many creative decisions in horror. And because it is, like, a more underground genre, I think it does have the power to, like, relay more interesting, unique messages. So Scream. Uh, so this is the first, the fifth movie. Sorry, the fifth movie in a franchise of five movies, which I think, honestly... Are all great. I think two, three, four, and five have all—they all stand up to the original scream. You know, obviously, nothing can be as good as the original scream, but I think they all come pretty close because they—they they naturally continue the story in a place that feels unique and at the same time true to its original—the original message of Scream. I love um the look of the new film because it feels very modern but at the same time you know it still goes back to like the old scream you know the group of people it's a requel that's what they're calling it which i think was an interesting way to pivot the series forward because yeah they're referring they're being they like being aware self-aware of what they're doing but at the same time they also have like good scares like i love the opening scene the scene um with Dylan Minetti when his character dies is also a great scene I think I was really like on the edge of my seat during all that um and even the ending I think it's interesting how they spoiler alert I guess um talk about the fans of the series something that is kind of like a new direction forward taking the internet or taking like fan base or kind of stand culture and incorporating it in its movie There's also a lot of talk about elevated horror and all that kind of stuff was fun. But um, again, at the end of the day, it was still like a good just slasher movie. And it was like genuinely suspenseful, but it was also ridiculously fun, like Scream movies should be. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for the sixth movie. I think it's I saw that they're like taking it to New York, which I think is going to be really interesting. Uh, Love Jenna Ortega's performance. Uh, Yeah, I would recommend Scream. I recommend all the Scream movies, and I actually think I'm going to do, like, maybe an episode about the Scream franchise, because there's just so many details and things to unpack with those movies. They're really, um they're really a special, it's like a really special franchise. I would say it's my favorite horror movie franchise, uh, and the best quality horror movie franchise, maybe, maybe Evil Dead franchise could compare to it, but yeah, that was Scream. Okay, the next film on my honorable mentions list is 3,000 Years of Longing by George Miller. And I was doing like a practice run for this, and I actually said 5,000 Years of Longing. So yeah, I want to make sure I get that right. 3,000 Years of Longing. And I was surprised that this film had mixed reviews. Wait, first I'm going to start off actually explaining the plot, because I realized in my practice round again, like, I wasn't explaining the actual plot of the movies, so I realized if someone hadn't seen this movie or, like, was interested in it, they would have no idea what I was even talking about. So, 3000 Years of Longing is about, I'm just going to say, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba, because I don't remember movie character names. Tilda Swinton is a professor, and um, Idris Elba is a genie, or a gene, as they say in the film, and she covers his lamp and he tells her all of his stories and, uh, she gets three wishes from him and all that kind of stuff, but that's not really what the movie is about. Um, the movie is more about finding love in ex- unexpected places. And I actually really like that message and their love was maybe not super convincing, but I thought it was convincing enough, you know? Um, I really like that message, especially after everything that's happened in the world, there's like, it's a complicated world. And I think that, you know, you know, having a plan and maybe something coming across that plan, something that you didn't expect, um, maybe something didn't exactly fit what you wanted to happen or expected to happen. Or you found a person that you didn't really ever think you would connect with, but ended up making a great connection with. Um, throwing all those plans aside to just be with that person I think that's like a really beautiful message and I get the mixed reviews because um, it did feel a little long the movie's only I think like an hour 40 or something but it kind of did feel like two and a half hours because you know when he's telling his stories the stories go on for a really long time but I still thought it was a great film not really much more to say uh would i recommend it to people i would say if you like the actors yeah um i think that a part of the movie that i really enjoyed was that there is definitely a lot of passion coming out from uh the director and writer and the crew and cast like this was truly a passion project like there was no existing ip about genies or s- stories or anything like that um i think this is just a story or a message that the people behind really believed in and worked for which is always nice to see you know uh and yeah i really i really like the movie poster i think it's really pretty and i would recommend it okay i'm going to go on to the next film which is kimmy by steven stoneberg um the film stars zoe kravitz who gives a great performance in my opinion i think this year was really great in terms of Zoe Kravitz performances, but I also have a bit of a girl crush on her. So I could be biased, but uh, this is one of the five year, five or six movies that Steven Sonberg releases every year. And I really love all of the ideas that he's got going around. Um, Sex, Lies and Videos tape is like a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And so, and um, Ocean's 11, 12 and 13 are always a great time so i gave this a chance and honestly if i had to describe this movie it would kind of be like an airplane movie yeah because when i went over winter break i went on like four or five airplanes i traveled a lot and without fail every airplane i went on someone was watching this movie it was on the watch list thing it was there it's an airplane movie but i mean that in a good way it's short it's sweet it's on streaming it will always be on streaming. I feel like it's one of those movies that's just always going to be in rotation. But uh wait, let me actually talk about it. So Kimmy is about, um, I don't remember the character's name again, so I'm just gonna call her Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz is kind of a shut-in. The film takes place during COVID and uh she is locked up in this beautiful apartment where she spends all of her days there, all of her time there. She works from home. She's agoraphobic. She's too scared to leave the house. Um and she hear, she hears something while she's like working her tech job. Her job is to kind of like monitor Alexa streams and hear any discrepancies or mistakes. And she actually hears um, a crime being committed over the um, Kimmy, which is what they call it. It's actually like, it's basically Alexa, but they call it a Kimmy. Um, and she has to go out into the world, you know, face her fears and try to stop or save or uncover this mystery or crime that happened in front of her. And um I really, really enjoyed the first half, honestly, more than the second half. I liked watching her do her routine. Uh it was kind of soothing. It was like weirdly ASMR uh vibes, but the second half of the film, um, it's a more bit more different. That's when she goes outside into the world and tries to, you know, save or like stand up against the bad guys, I don't really know what to say. I guess I'm trying to be vague because I would recommend it and I'd say you should watch it. But um, I think of all the COVID releases, this is probably one of the better ones about COVID because I think, because the overall message or what I understood from the film is that, you know, at the end of the day, COVID will one day be gone and we will have, to, we should Not be afraid to leave our houses and enter the world. Uh, And I agree with that message. So yeah, Kimmy, Zoe Kravitz, Steven Sodenberg. I recommend it. Check it out. Okay, the last film on my honorable mentions list is Babylon, which is also the one I most recently watched. Babylon, I'm not really sure... Uh, it just sucks because you just watch a movie that was supposed to be about movies or like a love letter or celebration and you watch it in a theater full of emptiness I was the only person me and my friend were the only people that watched it in our theater and there was only one showtime during the day which was kind of strange we both noticed that and when we started watching the film there was a little like pre-show clip where margot robbie and diego calva say we're so glad you decided to watch babylon in a theater full of people or something along those lines and we just looked at each other and we just like we were like oh that just sucks but you know putting that aside uh the movie is actually very polarizing um i was surprised because I generally was on the positive side. You know, did I love this movie and I would go around telling everyone in the world to watch it? No, but I generally would recommend people to watch it, actually, because I think it's a good, well-paced three hours and uh, amazing performances, especially Margot Robbie, who I noticed kind of does, like, the Harley Quinn thing, but she's really good at it. And, you know, Brad Pitt also does, like, kind of the once upon a time in hollywood thing maybe a little more flamboyant but you know they're both really good at it and um yeah in fact speaking of once upon a time in hollywood i would definitely recommend the film to someone who likes once upon a time in hollywood because it's incredibly similar you know a long film about hollywood with three characters um Kind of no plot, just going through scene through scene. It's kind of more about the characters reacting to the situation they're they're in. Um but I thought each three characters had like strong personalities. Just like once upon a time in Hollywood. So if that was your thing, I'd definitely recommend it. Uh let me explain the plot of Babylon, if I can. Uh actually it's it's much easier to just break it down. It's a three-hour film. The first hour is pretty much them going to a party. It's such a fabulous party. And um, the tracking shots and whip pans um, were so like well placed and choreographed. And the scene of Margarabi dancing around and then getting lifted in the crowd was really just something to watch on um, the screen. Then the second hour is kind of about the Diego Calva character and Margarabi getting their big break in Hollywood, and the Brad Pitt character like kind of working and then realizing his career isn't doing that great, and then. The third hour is kind of when everything falls and like kind of everything goes to shit and, you know, all their Hollywood dreams are slowly starting to get crumbled. Um, and I know a lot of people liked the first two hours and they said the third hour was kind of dis- like disorganized or like very different from the rest of the film. But I think it fit with what the film was trying to say. Um, and I actually do believe there's a strong message in this film. Uh, I think the message of this film is that you know, you should give yourself a give yourself to a part of something that's greater than yourself, you know. Like it's just like basically the thesis of the film is what Diego Calva is saying at the party uh to Margarabi. You know, he's like, I want to be a part of movies because there's something bigger than myself out there. And uh with the Brad Pitt character, I guess the message would be, you know, or even the Margarabi character. Um, you know, everyone is a star. Everyone in this world is a star and Everyone's going to burn as bright as they possibly can, or at least they should, because, you know, everyone's going to burn out eventually, like all stars do. So I think the message of this film is it's not even just about movies. It particularly specifically is about movies, but it can be about anything. Like you should just give yourself into anything that you want, because, you know, everything is going to burn out eventually. So you might as well just dive deep into the things that you like and want. Uh, I think that's a pretty uplifting message, and, uh, again, it just sucks to see this film be so, do so poorly, when I think that it has merits that are clearly worth watching, and it's one of the better films that have come out this year. Uh, yeah, I guess I would recommend it to everyone, because I think it's ridiculously entertaining, but, yeah, if you're not a fan of the ending, I understand why. Um, one more thing about the film that my friend mentioned was that the sound was kind of strange. Uh, like someone's footsteps from like 100 feet behind you and an actor talking five feet in front of you. It was all the same volume. Like you could hear the person's footsteps in the back, the same volume that you heard like the person talking. Like, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but um, I've never seen a film do that. So I really don't know like what that was. Great score. Um, I think it's, his name is Justin Hurwitz. He did, like, all of Damien Chazelle's scores. um, And the film, oh, the film, I wanted to mention, like, the film is so Magnolia adjacent that I think we need to realize that Magnolia is so, um, it had such a big impact on, like, all modern day, like, movies. Like, I watch any movie or TV show and I'm like, oh, this is just doing, like, Magnolia, like, all the whip pans, all the tradition, um transitions. All the loud music and score, people screaming and crying. I'm like, this is Magnolia. Uh, So I think that movie is actually so underrated, especially after watching like films for the past three or four years. I didn't realize like that movie and Casino had such a big impact, I think. Um, Okay, so I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to get started on uh, my top 10 list. okay so i'm ready to start on my top 10 films of 2022 number 10 and i wasn't sure if i wanted to put this kind of low on the list number 10 is like the lowest spot but i realized this is my list so i should be able to say whatever i want so for number 10 i put everything everywhere all at once i know shocking i put it all the way at the bottom of the list but i honestly understand why everyone loves this film but i think this film was not targeted towards me i feel like this film was definitely targeted towards people who don't watch a lot of movies which is okay but that's honestly how i feel so the film is about evelyn wong played by michelle yo Ye- michelle yo um she plays a laundry laundromat operator, or she owns a laundromat business, and she's kind of going through these struggles with her husband, her her daughter, and her business in general, and her life is kind of a bit messy, and she goes through this journey where she realizes there are many different dimensions and possibilities and worlds around her, Um, and she kind of learns how to be more grateful, appreciate what she has, and The message of the film is kind of nihilism, positive nihilism, you know. Nothing means anything. That means you have the power to create whatever you want out of it, and you should love your family, which I think is a good message, but people talk about the movie like they've never heard of nihilism before, and I think it is a common message. Again, I think it's a great message to have in a film, but for me, it's just not the first time I've heard this before, you know? But yeah, so yeah, I feel like this film was definitely... Again, a movie meant for people who don't watch a lot of movies. And you know, when I watched it, it was in a crowded packed theater and everyone was laughing, crying, all that kind of stuff. Um, I felt like the strongest parts of the movie were honestly, first, the maximalism. Um, I actually really appreciated that because, you know, all the movies I watch these days, and I'm guilty of this because I love these kind of movies. They're very minimalistic. There's not a lot of talking. There's not a lot of set like the set is decorated but it's spacey you know with everything everywhere all at once the entire movie was kind of just like literally everywhere like there were so many colors like it was like a kaleidoscope basically and uh it was nice to see that like even the movie poster is like it's really like really pretty but um um i think also another aspect of the film was um the practical effects that was definitely like a high point for me because when it's honestly kind of more interesting to even read rather than to watch, read about how they did the practical effects because they like did it in like an abandoned office space and they, um, they like literally moved around the chair like when she was like transporting, they literally did that in like real time. And only six people did all the practical effects, which was really cool. Uh, another aspect I liked was, um, the acting. I think it was an ensemble film I honestly think that everyone in the film did a great job and I think that it was important that it was an ensemble cast like it wouldn't have worked if it was just like a one-woman show so yeah I mean I guess the film is also about like identity all that kind of stuff I don't know how hard I related to that all that kind of stuff but I mean other people tell me that it really impacted them so again uh if I had to summarize my thoughts I'd say yeah good film you know again not entirely sure if it was my crowd I'm just I just keep on saying this because everyone tells me it's the greatest film they've ever seen in their life but there are also people who haven't like seen a lot of movies so I actually really appreciate that you know it was a movie that was able to get people out more people who normally wouldn't watch movies more got them in their seats uh definitely a very impactful film for the year 2022 uh, I bet it's gonna win a lot of awards, which is great. Uh, very original, and I'll probably check out what the directors Daniel Kwan and I think it's like Daniel. <laughs> Let me look it up. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Uh, do next. I I would recommend this film to everyone because everyone loves it. Okay, so the next film on this list. Uh I did I did a run by with some people I know about my list and I was like, what do you think? And a lot of people were like, "Really?" for number 9, but I really really do think it was a great film. It's The Batman by Matt Reeves. Uh stars Robert Pattinson, Zoë Kravitz, Colin Farrell, um I think Jeffrey Wright, I think that's his name. Uh, Paul Dano, great cast, great ensemble cast. Um, they are. I mean, I'm not really sure what to say about Batman if I have to explain the premise of Batman. Other than that, it's Batman. So I'm gonna go into it. Yeah, I'm not really big fan of superhero movies. Um, I've seen a, I've seen most of them to be honest. Just out of, you know, why not? Let's go. Let's go watch. Or, you know, when you're little, you're at a friend's house and. You want to put on something that's agreeable, so everyone agrees to watch like Spider-Man or stuff like that. Um but I really, really like this Batman specifically. Batman has always been my favorite character, I think because he's it's he's just interesting. I, I'm not there's not much more to say about it other than I think his personality is interesting. Um And if you have to think of Batman in terms of time, in the 90s, there was and there are millions of articles about this you can read if you want to, like, research further, because it's actually very interesting. You know, in the 90s, there was kind of, like, goofy Batman. And then, you know, the Tim Burton Batman, it was very comic booky, um, Little silly, you know, Danny DeVito was dressed up as a penguin. Michelle Pfeiffer was, like, had claws and was, like, saying meow and stuff like that. But um, in the 2000s, after, you know, our political climate, uh, everything that was happening, Batman became a lot broodier, a lot more, you know, realistic, gritty, edgy. All movies were realistic, gritty, edgy in the in the late two thousands. And while I do enjoy that Batman, I think, and I enjoy the other Batman, the previous Batman, I honestly like this Batman the most. I think what I liked about Batman was that, he was truly he the Batman we get now is the Batman we deserve you know we kind of get the Batman we deserve at every time period and this Batman is very emo he's very isolated he's definitely spending all his time browsing forums reading reading like old articles all that kind of stuff and he does feel like the sign of the times um and I have to I'm not gonna lie know this batman kind of reminds me of edward cullen and i love twilight i think it's a great series i think it's truly a -a one-of-a-kind you know film the original twilight itself and obviously robert pattinson is also in twilight um and he's giving he's definitely giving edward cullen but uh i think the aesthetic of this film was also a really big high point for me like um zoe kravitz walking around that like Berlin nightclub I loved all the scenes in that I think it was called the icebreaker lounge or iceberg lounge or something like that all of those like scenes that happened in the club I was like so so living for it I thought it was so great and like all the scenes of you know Batman walking around or like driving around in those motorbikes and like kind of stalking Catwoman all of those scenes were just so so great in my opinion I love the Gotham aesthetic I love like Gotham as a city it definitely felt like it really did feel like its own world and um I was definitely sucked into it like for the entire three hours and you know um there was very it was definitely giving Fincher vibes it was giving Zodiac um Memories of Murder also I love all of those films um so, you know, if you have to my my theory is that, you know, nothing is original over under the sun. So if you're going to kind of find or copy an aesthetic or take inspiration from an aesthetic, it should be a good one. And I think that this was definitely a great place to take inspiration from. I love the noir, um, the noir feelings that this film gave me all the um, all the mystery solving the riddles. All of those scenes were great. I thought the film also looked great. There was really good cinematography. I liked the pacing, you know, the sound of that man's shoes just walking as he walked felt so powerful. And the um, the beginning scene when, you know, everyone is so scared of just that bat signal and everyone just like runs away. I, all the criminals. I thought that was just like, it was just great movie, like cinematic, like showing and not telling even though there's voiceover, so it's kind of telling, but, uh, there's a lot of great showing not telling in this film, I thought, a lot of smart details, um, and, you know, if I guess, I guess if I had to say, like, what my overall take from this film was, is that, um, I think sincerity is in, you know, this Batman, this movie is very sincere, it can be a little silly how serious it takes itself, but at the same time, it really seems to believe in itself, and, It's never once pointing at it. No one's pointing at Batman ever and saying, hey, you know, aren't you a bat, like a talking bat? Like, you don't have any powers. Like, why are you Batman? There was no, like, there there was none of those kind of jokes, which was really rare for a movie coming out in 2022. And I appreciated that. I appreciated how much the Batman believed in itself, honestly. And um, I didn't think the third act was, you know, amazing. But I think the first two acts definitely covered it up for it. It made up for it. Um, yeah, I would recommend this film to everyone. And I guess if I could kind of take the temperature and see how everyone felt about it, I think overall the experience was pretty positive. I think most people like this movie. So I think most people have seen this movie, too. So I can say, like, watch it. But, like, I'm sure everyone already has. Uh, yeah, number nine was The Batman. Okay, number eight. Number eight is kind of like a double whammy. I did two movies in one. I said Pearl slash X. Both are by Ty West. I think it's Ty West. Pretty sure that's how you say it. Um, so X came out in March and then it came out later that there was gonna be like there was like a secret prequel to the film called Pearl, which I think was actually really interesting. I'll get into the whole like sequel thing later, but First, I want to talk about X. So X is, um, it's about, it takes place in the 70s. It's basically a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, homage. Um, and you know what? I would say that if you have to take inspiration from something, at least let it be a good thing. Like I said about the Batman, at least, you know, it's taking inspiration from a good movie. There's nothing, we could use a bit more of that, I think, um, It's very, very, very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, the plots are very similar. It's about these pornographic actors who try to make a pornographic movie in an abandoned barn. And um, the owners of the farm that the barn is on are crazy. And they're old. And they want to kill everyone. And they do. Or at least they try to. And it's definitely a classic slasher movie. there's a lot of, like, De Palma influence on it, I can also see, which, again, is a great play- place to take influence from, I think. Um, I thought it was well-paced. I thought it was fun. I thought it was definitely disturbing. Uh, and I thought that, you know, there's definitely a bit of discourse, discoursey themes in the film that kind of took me out. Like, uh, I I can't think of any that come to mind right now for some reason. But, uh Like for example, Pearl. I'll tell you. I'll tell you now. Pearl has a bit of like COVID discourse with the mask stuff, Uh, and I thought that was, you know, pretty fun kind of. But it kind of did take me out because it was the '70s, so it was or like the 1920s, 1970s. So it was a bit like, oh wait, I get it. You're talking about like 2022. You're talking about now. Like there were definitely moments where I felt like that, but overall, I think the message of the film was just like, have a good time, (laughs) get scared. A classic slasher film and it's been a while since there's been something like just so straightforward in horror you know it wasn't trying to be something like the babadook or anything like that it was just trying to be like a fun slasher film and i think it succeeded i love the costume design of the maxine character i was maxine for halloween so me and all these other on- extremely online girls all had the same goal and accomplished it <laughs> and uh yeah that's my thoughts on X and my thoughts on Pearl which was the secret sequel that they made while filming X which is about Pearl the old couple that try to kill everyone um Pearl is the woman from the old couple she's the old lady and this prequel is about her when she was younger and she's played by Mia Goth who I didn't mention is such a great actress she gives such a great performance in both movies uh even in um X, like all the actors are actually really good. Like Kid Cuddy is actually like really funny in this movie. And uh obviously Jenna Ortega again, amazing. Uh Brittany Snow also great. Um because I haven't seen her in a while since like Pitch Perfect. She's also like really good. I'd like to see her in like a lot more movies. Um Uh yeah. So Pearl is Pearl is about there's There's a very loose plot in Pearl. It's basically just about the story of like Pearl and how she wants to be a star and she wants to like get off the farm that she lives on. But, you know, you know she's never going to be able to. So it's kind of about her tragic demise downwards into like basically becoming crazy, even though she she was always crazy, let's be honest. But <laughs> um a lot of the sets from X were like repurposed, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I love the Technicolor aspect of it. I actually didn't do my research, so I don't know if it was actually Technicolor, but it definitely looks Technicolor. Um, I think that the scenes are, again, very, like, kind of loose, loosely connected, like, forward progressions into Pearl's, like, Descent of Madness. But I think what definitely carries the movie is I love how colorful the film is. And I love Mugot's performance. Amazing performance. The six-minute monologue where she just sits at that table and, like, cries is, like, amazing. All the things she says, the way she says it, it was really, really great writing. And the turnaround of this film I heard was, like, like honestly a couple of weeks, which is also amazing. Like, they literally wrote, they made X and then they'd go home, write Pearl, and then they'd, like, make it right after, which is really, really, like, cool. And uh, I think that this film was just such a great time. It was so well-made and so well-crafted. And, you know, there's nothing deeper in the film, I would say. But I just had such a fun, amazing time watching this, especially in theaters. And uh, I can't wait to watch Maxine. I bet that um, that film's going to be really great, too. And I didn't watch X in theaters, um, so I will be definitely checking out Maxine uh would i recommend these films to everyone hmm i guess i would recommend pearl to everyone because it's not super gory i'd recommend x to people who like slashers and can stomach slashers but yeah i would i wouldn't think it's for everyone i think pearl is for everyone though it's like a classic like thriller or um suspense movie okay uh, yeah, that was my number eight. Okay, uh, number seven is the film Bones and All by Luca Guadagnino, starring Taylor Russell, Mark Rylance, and Timothy Chalamet. Uh, so this movie, it took a while, I think, to get to number seven. It definitely took its time because when I first watched it, I thought it would be like, the based on the trailers, I thought it would be really dark. I thought it would be really gory. I thought it would be really disturbing, very lusty. I thought there would be a lot more, like, sex, honestly. But what I got instead was more of, it wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be Raw meets Badlands, like the, dis- like, the disgusting, gory parts of Raw combined with, like, the beautiful, like, um, picturesque, like, Badlands of, like, America and, like, all of the cinematography from there. But um what I got was something entirely different, you know. And at first I wasn't sure how I felt about it because I really was again expecting something a lot more darker and disturbing, kind of like um Suspiria 2018 cuz that movie was very beautiful, but it was also very 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 dark and disturbing. There was so much like gore and like ugh, it was I love that movie. I'm not saying it like a bad thing. I'm saying that like that's what made the film interesting, you know. Um but This movie was very quiet it was very serene it was something entirely its own and i think maybe i went into the film thinking that with this conception that like oh it's badland meets raw it's like the park chan movie um sorry Park, park chan wook movie thirst it's gonna be like that um it's gonna be like twilight like lusty it's like no it wasn't like that at all it was more it was a very unique film it was a very unique experience it was much more lighter, much more airier, much more on the badlands side compared to raw. And once I watched it, realized it was nothing like the trailers or nothing what I thought would be. Um, I came to appreciate it more. It definitely took time to sink in. Um, let me talk about this movie first. Um, Bones and all, it's based off of a young adult fiction novel. It's about taylor russell's character marion she is a cannibal she was born a cannibal she like i was explaining this to my friend and she was like this is the worst movie i've ever heard like why are they eating people for fun and i was like no 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 they're born into cannibalism they don't decide to and she was like oh so i think now it's very important to like state that they were born into cannibalism it wasn't something that they chose because yeah it's hard to root for that that's honestly disgusting um so they are cannibals. Oh, sorry, Marin is cannibal, and she later meets um Mark Rylance's character and uh Timothy Chalamet's character, and both of them are cannibals. And uh, she forms a relationship with Timothy Chalamet char- Timothy Chalamet's character Lee, and they fall in love. And there's not really any plot to this movie. Uh, she's trying to find her mother. Her dad kicks her out, so she's trying to, like, reconnect with her mother or try to figure out, like, why she's like this or how she turned up like this. Um, but for the most part, the film is just, again, loosely connected stories. And I think of all the movies I've said so far, this one's definitely, definitely, definitely the most loosely connected film. There's like a scene, like some a character will pop in. There's a lot of scenes where it's just one actor comes in, does their little scene, and then they're not in the rest of the movie. Like Chloe Sevigny, who plays her mom, is this, is in this for like one scene. Jessica Harper is in this for like one scene. Um, uh, Michael, I think his name's Stol Stolberg, is in this for like again one scene, and it's kind of like about Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell. Their characters kind of just like encountering these people these obstacles these things and just kind of like moving on it the more I think about it it was kind of like a care it was like kind of like you're watching these video game characters kind of just try to like like you're watching like Mario trying to uh defeat every level of the game um until they reach the ending and uh yeah the I would definitely say that the relationship between these two characters is the strongest aspect of the film it's the most interesting you know when I was watching it my friend um, who I watched it with she said um I don't understand how these characters uh they fell in love so quickly and I also thought about that but I'm definitely down to watch the movie again and kind of figure that part out because I think their relationship is a lot there's more to the surface than what was shown I think that watching it again and again um would help I would definitely be down to rewatch it Um, but it's definitely a movie about love because the way that these characters, like the Timothy Shami character and Taylor Russell character, the way that they look at each other in its own way, it's like, so, it's like, so like obvious that they're deeply in love with each other. And even though you don't really get to hear them talk, they're both very quiet people. Um, I think that you don't have to, to really understand that there's a lot of good acting in this movie, I think. I really, really love all the performances in this film. I think that actually Timothy Chalamet's character is a bit more interesting than um, Taylor Russell's character. I wish that her character was like a bit more strong, a bit stronger, because his character was very stoic, very thoughtful, very like action based, and sometimes it felt like she was just kind of like going along for the ride. I would have had her character maybe been a bit more forceful or impactful or just took a bit more action to the plot. But um, I really love the scene where the both the two of them are fighting after Chloe Sevigny, like Taylor Russell, like she encounters her mom and she has to like come to terms with the fact that like her life is like crazy and like she doesn't know what her next plan is. And, you know, he says, he says stuff like, I know you're out in this world for the first time and you're freaking yourself out. It's weird seeing yourself here but you know it's freaking me out too and you know we have to figure out whatever this is and they're talking about their relationship and i love that scene so much i will straight up say i think that is my favorite scene of 2022 there's just something so like grand and immediate about that scene which i loved so much and the ending is definitely um, definitely a high point in the film I'm not sure if I love that song that they used um and the ending. I don't want to spoil the ending, but uh yeah, I the ending was crazy, definitely. And the last shot, even the last shot itself was like really really beautiful. Um I guess there's no overall message in the film other than like love. Um but if I had to do my reading about it, like my surface level reading, I would say um cannibalism is like a metaphor for love it's a classic it's the most surface level take i can give on this film but you know cannibalism two people eating each other love two people consuming each other you know love is like so consuming that when you see a person you love them so much you would like give your body to them give your body soul all that kind of stuff and cannibalism is literally eating someone so the relationship in this film uh, is definitely about, like, loving a person so much you could just, like, consume them, so that's my take. I mean, it's a very surface-level take, but that's how, I guess, cannibalism ties into the love aspect of the film. Uh, would I recommend this film? I don't know if the average person could honestly stomach the gory parts of this film, because it is really gory, and I know some people who have seen it, and they're like, the ending was too much for me, but I think that it's a very unique experience. It's a very unique film. Uh, some parts, you know, like I thought the ending part when uh, Timothy Chalamet's character Lee kind of explains his story with his father. That part, by that time, I was kind of like, um, that was just thrown in really, really randomly towards the end. But um, there were so many other strong parts of the film that make me think that it was a great film, and I really liked it. So. Yeah, that was bones and all. Uh I'm gonna go on to number six. So number six, I have the banshees of Inshirin. Inshirin, I think it's Inshirin. The Banshees of Inshirin. Uh so this is by Martin McDonough. It is basically most of it is dialogue based it's very dialogue driven it's a very it has a very showy script there's a lot of flashy dialogue there's a lot of amazing performances all four main actors uh let me get into the film uh so the film stars Colin Farrell Domhnall not Domhnall Gleeson wait that is uh it's his dad Brendan Gleeson Brendan Gleeson um and then the two side characters are Carrie Condon and uh, Barry Keegan. Uh, so the film is about Colin Farrell's character and, uh, Brendan Gleeson's character. Uh, they are, they had been friends for a long time in this old 1800s Irish town. Uh, they were best friends and one day Brendan Gleeson tells Colin Farrell, you know, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And, oh, I feel like I could have done this easier. Wait, Okay, for number six, I have The Banshees of Inshirin uh, by Martin McDonough. So this film is about... Uh, there are four main central characters. But there's Let me rephrase. There's two main characters and then two side characters in this film. Uh, it's a quite simple film. Uh, it's about Colin Farrell. He's the main character, I would say. And Brendan Gleeson. Uh, Their childhood... No, childhood. They've been friends for tens of years. Uh, they live on this old Irish coast in the 1800s uh, and one day Brendan Gleason stops talking to Colin Farrell and he just says, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Uh, I'm not your friend. Get away from me. Go away from me. And the rest of the film is literally about these two characters and how they have a falling apart or they fall apart. And I think this film was definitely interesting because it's about friendship, which is always a very complicated subject. But it's, you know, most of the time, friendships, they happen because, you know, you gradually fall apart, you both stop talking to each other. But, you know, once in a while, you do have a friendship where conflict erupts, and that's how the friendship is over. And it was really interesting to see that kind of a friendship or falling out. Um, happen on film there was a lot of divisive force into this relationship being broken uh, it kind of happens out of nowhere and you know I definitely related to it you know you kind of you're with someone and then all of a sudden the friendship is over and it can happen very ab- abruptly and it doesn't happen it hasn't happened a lot to me or probably the average person but when that does happen you kind of just like Colin Farrell are going back and you know picking up the pieces, trying to figure out, you know, did you do anything wrong? What happened? Uh, But one of the hard things to understand is that sometimes the person just doesn't like you anymore. That's life. And uh, do I mean? do I think that Brendan Gleeson's character was right about being, about saying, you know, you're too simple. You're, you're kind of stupid. I'm a serious person. I need friends who are serious. I need to work on my art and craft. No, obviously. Also, total asshole. There needs to be, you can't isolate yourself 24 seven. I think it's completely ridiculous. Um, but I do think that that running theme of the film, you know, is it better to be remembered as a great man or a nice man? Um, great as in like an artist as in Mozart or Beethoven or a great, I mean, or a nice man, someone who loves his family and takes care of the people around him, which is more important is either one important. Does it really matter at the end of the day? Uh, I don't know, it's a really complex question to ask Uh, and watching it kind of unfold was really interesting to watch. Uh, There's so many complex ideas and meanings and motives in this film. Um, I don't know if I can get into all of it, Uh, I might try, but uh, I want to highlight the other two characters, the Carrie Condon's character, um, who is Colin Farrell's sister. Uh, Her side story is also very interesting. First of all, it was great to see um it was great to see a brother and sister relationship in film that wasn't like a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old like it was a fully formed like adult you know sibling relationship which is something that you never really see, you know. I was expecting her when I first saw the movie or the trailer, I assumed oh, that must be his wife, but no, that's his sister. Um it was a pleasant surprise. But I thought their relationship was really sweet. I thought, you know, her needing to leave and go to progress her own life, kind of being selfish in the process of leaving Colin Farrell's character alone, like that kind of thing where it's like, if you are kind of a caretaker or if you are there in someone's life, like, is it okay, again, to just go and pursue something, your own dream? Is that selfish to pursue your dream or to pursue a better life? Um, I thought that was also a really, really interesting question. And um, uh, the other side character, Barry Keegan's character, was just so charming and so amazing. And every single line that he says would just like make me smile. It was so great. He, Barry Hugan, one of the best character actors, I think, um, of my generation, because I definitely think he's like very young. So he's definitely a part of my generation. Um, It was just so great to watch that. I mean, his performance was definitely like the scene stealer and again, hilarious every line he said was gold and you know i i still don't know what to make of his character's ending because he has a tragic ending uh but while he was like on screen and just like the brightest most like funniest character you know he reminded me of um if you've seen election uh paul paul metzler his character which is another character it's probably one of my favorite male characters um Watching him kind of do like the Paul election thingy uh, was so great, even though, again, in election, you know, Paul definitely wins. And in this movie, you know, Barry Keegan's character definitely loses. But um, watching it all unfold for his character was also just like such a treat. And, uh, you know, I think anyone who wants to watch it should definitely watch it. I think anyone can watch it because, again, the story presented on screen is so simple, um, it's just like all the motives and hidden meanings that are like so complex like so complex there there are definitely things that I haven't even thought of that have happened in this film um okay sorry about that if that was like an awkward pause I had a little noise disruption I had to attend to um as I was saying about the film um I another thing I really liked about the film was that you know five minutes into it we were already super deep into the plot you know there's no like there's not really a scene setting other than you know there it's an Irish town like near the cliffs but you get straight into the fact that like he shows up to the bar Colin Farrell shows up to the bar and like his friend isn't there boom plot is already everything is already set up I loved how simple this plot was so then all the rest of like Everything underneath the film, everything underneath the surface could kind of just like run its gears and uh, the film really progressed very quickly. It was wonderfully paced. Um, Great. I like a short movie, so good runtime. And again, amazing acting. I'm trying to think of like what I could say as the main takeaway from the film. And yeah, I would probably say the main takeaway is like, is it better to be a great man who is remembered for his intellect, his ability? Um not really caring about how he got there but rather the things he did um which is actually how we remember most great people so take that as what you will or is it okay to be forgotten about is it just okay being a nice person who cared for everyone around them and made their world a better place while they were in the world which one is more important which one has more of an impact on people you know and again with the side character like should you stay for the people, should you be helpful for the people who are there, or should you go and abandon everyone and chase your own dreams? Is that okay? Is it valid to do that? I don't know. Yeah, okay. I think that was all I have to say about this movie. Um. Definitely check it out, and I'm gonna go on to number five. My number five was Nope by Jordan Peele. Uh, I'm going to just say this right off the bat. It's my favorite Jordan Peele movie. I liked it more than Get Out and Us, um, which I know is a very bold statement to make because this movie had mixed reviews. And unlike um, some of the other movies that I was saying have mixed reviews, I absolutely loved this movie. Um, I thought, first of all, the cinematography was amazing. Wait, actually, let me, I keep on forgetting. Let me first get into the movie. So, Nope is about these two characters, Daniel Kaluuya and, um, Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer, um, they're brother and sister. Another great representation of siblings in film. We don't really get that much, but, um, this year, for some reason, there were a couple of, a couple of examples. Um, they own a ranch, um, a Hollywood ranch. They basically, like, let give film productions like um horses which they can rent out for a day of shooting and so they own that ranch and while they're on the ranch weird things start to happen and the rest of the plot continues and i think that this movie is um it's not exactly what you'd expect because At first, when you watch it, you know, you think it's going to be, like, a horror film, but it's actually not even... I wouldn't even call it a horror film. I guess I'd call it, like, an action-western-thriller. If I had to describe it, it would be, like, a western-thriller. It was definitely a big mashup of, like, a lot of different genres. But um, I think uh, what made the film for me was definitely the setting. I loved the setting. I thought it was so unique. It was, like, it was kind of like a space-western... But at the same time, like, in a California desert, I love the setting. I thought the ranch, um, I thought the ranch setting was beautiful. I thought that house was so pretty just sitting there on that empty space. Um, I thought that um, the night sky at night, even though I'm pretty sure I read online that they did, like, those scenes at during the day, but then they, like, CGI'd it to be at night. I thought that was so pretty. Like, even the night sky... Um, The design of those, like, spaceship animal things, like, the spaceship animal thing jean jacket or whatever, it was so pretty. Especially towards the end when it becomes, like, that Iris Van Herpen-like structure. Um, I love the cinematography. Uh, Yeah, the... It was done on an IMAX camera, I think. And the way they shoot the sky and the way you're, like, kind of traveling and searching for the jean jacket animal in the sky with the characters I thought that was so like fun and it really it really made me feel excited and um like I was really immersed in it when I was like looking at the sky being like where is he um I think that this film is a lot there's a lot going on in this film also like banshees of insurance like like the whole um the whole monkey thing especially at the beginning I was like okay where is this going and even then it's not fully loosely connected it's not fully like explained I think you have to draw conclusions to yourself I think Jordan Peele is the kind of filmmaker that wants you to try to figure out stuff yourself or you know he lets things stay a bit open so you can kind of make your own interpretation which is something that I actually really appreciate because when it's done right it's a really satisfying thing like making your own conclusions is really really fun and I would say that the monkey, I mean, there's just so much in this film, but I think the monkey and that whole story is about exploitation. It's about the audience and the viewer, you know, there's so much about filmmaking in this film, especially with the the handheld camera that they have to use to take the picture of um, the, the jean jacket animal. It's definitely a film about the filmmaking process. The way they have to like set up the set up the kind of trap to take literally take a moving picture of this subject. It's literally about filmmaking. Um I think again, for me, highlight was definitely the setting. That was a wholly uniquely set unique setting that I'd never seen before. And uh, amazing acting. I love Kiki Palmer's performance. I loved Daniel Kaluuya's performance, even though his performance was definitely very quiet and subtle. I think sometimes quiet, subtle performances are the best kind. And uh, yeah, I would say this film, I recommend it to everyone. I think everyone should check out this film. Worst case, you will be thoroughly entertained with all of the crazy things going on on screen. I love the the imagery of like the people getting swept away into the alien ship thing even though it was terrifying uh there are just so many moments I think in the film that really were so strong that overall it really added to the film for me it was like it wasn't like I was totally like hooked in with the plot it was like the little moments of filmmaking that were going on that really had me interested and invested in what was going on And I absolutely love the film. It definitely wasn't unsettling to me, at least. Like, I was definitely thinking about, like, aliens, like, things in the sky, like, all that kind of stuff after watching it. Even though it wasn't particularly scary, um, there were definitely a lot of images that had me unsettled. Uh, And I really love this film. Again, my favorite Jordan Peele film. And I think everyone should check it out. Uh, Yeah, number five is Nope. Okay, so number four is Memoria by, uh, I actually feel really bad because I don't know if I can say this director's name properly. Um, (laughs) let me just really quickly look up how to say his name. and listen Apichatpong uh, Apichatpong Okay that was a bit questionable but we're going to go with that Uh 2021 I know it technically came out 2021 but if we're going to be honest no one really saw this until 2020 because it wasn't even available in theaters until 2020 and I didn't even watch it in theaters I watched it at home So I'm gonna call this one a 2022 release um I think I have the least to say about this film because I just watched it and it was so there was just it was a film that seemed as if nothing was going on but there was clearly so much going on like I'm not even sure what really to decipher from it but um just there's so many scenes that had me just like absolutely ecstatic and I can't really explain why uh like especially just the beginning scene, the opening scene when um Tilda Swinton again Tilda Swinton Anything she does, literally I'm here for. Um, Tilda Swinton is just like sleeping and then you hear all the cars go off, like just that in itself. I don't know, I just felt ecstatic for some reason. Um it was really a film that felt so that felt so unique and different and I love slow cinema and Uh, I felt so invested while watching it um yeah for me this film was more about the feeling it gave me I can't really verbalize why I liked it that much because again I'm not even sure what I watched (laughs) but if I had to say the plot and I'm just getting this one straight from the internet because I'm not even sure um uh uh and a Scottish orchard farmer Visiting her ill sister in Cambodia befriends a young musician and a French archaeologist. Each night, she is bothered by increasingly large bangs, which prevent her from getting any sleep. Uh, ends up being another, like, nope-esque Starship movie, but it's not Starship, alien movie. Um, Obviously, it's much more quiet, and uh, but I really love those films that are about the mundanity um films that you know like make me see the beautiful side of like normal life like just watching her kind of sit and talk with um the young sound mixer um I think his name is like Irman or something Hernando I think let me look it up yeah his name is and uh, just watching him her sit and talk with um him uh, for some reason just watching them work try to kind of figure out the sound that she was hearing just watching that was just such a wonderful experience like it was just a delightful experience that how that's how to explain this movie but i can't actually verbalize it um and sometimes those are the best films you know the ones you watch and you're not even exactly sure what you watched but you just know that you watched something amazing and I think I might have to rewatch this again, see what other people are saying about this. Um, I literally just watched this like two days ago, which is why I'm still not even sure. But um, it's number four on my list because again, the feeling I got was just so ecstatic and joyful, and the cinematography, the oh my god, the 35 millimeter shot on film, it was so beautiful, and the especially the scene towards the end, the last scene of like all the nature. And the the color grade in the film, it was just so pretty to watch. It was very like Ozu, which is what I honestly say about every slow cinema film, but uh again, love this film. Uh the scene of Tilda Swinton kind of just at that table crying or like looking very shocked, kind of just like deadpan, straight faced. Um, that scene was beautiful. Like there were just so many moments and images that I can even think about now without having even seen the film that make me feel so like invigorated. But this was definitely my most abstract film on this list. Um, I'm not even sure if I can explain it, but uh, I loved it. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone because again, slow cinema is uh, very, very much for people who like watching kind of beautiful paint dry. and dry and I say that as like the highest compliment ever because it's so much fun for me but it's not for everyone and you know even even I have to kind of get in the mood of okay I'm gonna watch this movie and nothing might happen for two hours um but I find with slow cinema most of the time when you think nothing is going to happen for two hours you know everything happens so uh, th- I think that's what's one of the the best parts of these kind of movies is that like you see nothing's happening, but again, underneath the surface, it's like everything is going on. Um, you just have to figure it out yourself, which is why it's so invigorating. And uh, yeah, number four was Memoria. Okay, I feel like I've been recording for two hours right now. I might have been. Um, we're at the top three. So we're finally, we're getting down to the wire. I went into this thinking, oh, how am I even going to fill up, you know, 20 minutes of um, airtime? Like, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I ended up saying a lot. So pretty proud of myself for that. Um, yeah, we're going to do with number, th- we're going to go on to number three. So number three is After Sun by Charlotte Wells. Uh, stars Paul Mescal and newcomer Frankie Corio. It's about these father and daughter a very young father, a very, like, young, young father, and um, his 10-year-old daughter, or around that time. And it's about the hol- holiday they took in Italy when um, when they were both young, and the older version of the character, her name is Sophie, she um, is kind of reminiscing on it. Um, she's watching, like, these this old VHS recording or camcorder recording, I'm not really sure. Um, I don't think I remember, like, what exactly, but a big theme is kind of just, like, memories, and uh, you know, when she's watching, when she's watching everything that's going on in the recording, everyone's so, they're both so happy and excited, and they're all jumping around and dancing, but when you see these memories being recreated, what actually happened on their vacation, it's that, it's incredibly sad, and there's such an air of melancholy in this film which I I love I love that feeling of like nothing no one is saying anything is sad or no one is saying anything is bad but you know you can get the vibe or the feeling that there's definitely something off based on you know little expressions on people's faces and little things that people say and this in this film it's like the daughter could make an offhanded remark to her father and it would be like the end of the world to the father. And you could really feel the weight of every single little moment in their relationship. Um, And that was just something that I love watching on film. Like I love, this movie was very, very, you know, uh, Somewhere by Sofia Coppola inspired. It was very Sofia Coppola. Um, I love the film Somewhere. Uh, This was definitely a bit more, uh, not I don't want to say dramatic I'm I'm saying dramatic not as like a bad thing or a good thing it was just it was just if I had to describe it more dramatic than somewhere but the film is actually very similar like down to the arm cast like a father and a young father and like a daughter and their relationship with each other and this film is definitely very like both of um Thurval-esque even there's even this this amazing shot that literally is like the Bo poster like exact same pose exact same stance everything and um the use of the color blue in this film is just so pretty and every single shot is so beautiful and there's this one scene that absolutely took my breath away it was um when the daughter Sophie is like rec- they're like the entire shot it's like a two minute scene The entire shot is shown through, like, a TV screen, and you never even see the actors' faces. And yet, at the same time, you always know exactly what's going on. Like, you know, like, you don't know exactly what the characters are feeling, like, especially the Paul Mescal's character, the dad character. He's a very enigmatic character. But you can can see, you can tell or figure out, like, what's going on or that something is off or, like, a character feels a different way. Um, But again, this is a very show-don't-tell movie. Um, Not a single thing in this film is explained. Like, not even a single thing. It's very much you have to pick it up yourself. Um, Again, beautiful shot on 35mm, beautiful cinematography. And Paul Meskel's performance in this is so interesting and nuanced. And I really, really loved his performance in this. I think his performance in this was one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, probably my favorite male performance, you know, him and Colin Farrell's character in Banshees of Insurance would probably be my two favorite, like, male performances of the year, but, um, yeah, it's incredibly touching, beautiful cinematography, like, the way reflections are used in this film are, like, some that I have never seen before, like, the way a person's face can just bounce off, like, the light of a table, and you can see their face in the reflection of a table. Or like the reflection of like a computer screen, um, it's so beautiful, and you know, there's this really great shot of like the daughter sitting and then the father is like removing his cast from, um, in the bathroom and you can see both sides of the wall, it's really beautiful, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of really great framing, not a lot of like moving around camera, and, you know, there's there's not exactly a whip pan in here or anything, it's very very simple. Um, understated, um, yet at the same time, incredibly gorgeous. Yeah, very, very, very Claire Denis-inspired. The entire movie of Beau Bo- Torval is, like, clearly, clearly inspiration for this film. But again, like I said, like I, ke- like I keep on saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking inspiration from something great, you know. I think we could use more of that. Like, there's not a lot of exactly Claire Denis, you know, imitators out there. And there honestly could be more we could have a couple more i guess the only thing i'd have to say about this is that i hope that charlotte swell's next film is probably a bit more I, I i would like to hear her own voice or see if there's another theme in her in her films but it's too early to tell now obviously i think the themes of you know memory especially like what you think now like because it's so true when you think of like five years ago you everyone says oh five years ago I was so happy but when you're in the middle of five years ago you know you were miserable and or like you were unhappy or like you know you always look back at something with such happiness and nostalgia when the reality is that it wasn't and our brains keep on doing this and you have to wonder why you know this is definitely a film about memory and nostalgia and um, unspoken words and hidden hidden glances and small small touches like a touch on the back of the shoulder could mean absolutely everything in the world and um you know a certain a certain look or a smile or the lack of a smile can mean the entire world um this is a movie about the small moments that are so important and uh I thought it was so beautiful it was very it was very like like the person who made this clearly they like observe everything about life and like small little things and it's, it's about, of course always nice to see movies like this I thought it was beautiful like I wanted to cry like it was beautiful and I'm gonna actually go watch this again in a couple of days so yeah After Sun um check it out I think everyone should check it out I mean amazing movie okay number two on this list is Triangle of Sadness by Ruben Osland I went into this movie with, I don't know, the reviews for this film were slightly mixed. A lot of people said the third act wasn't as strong as the first two acts, but I disagree. I think all three acts in this film were wonderful. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen a film just have fun with itself and let itself be a little silly and just let itself like truly, truly just like engulf itself in, like, the craziness and ridiculousness of its setting and plot. So uh, Triangle of Sadness is a satire about the rich, even though we've seen that a lot. Like, there's just so many movies about satire and rich people. Um, but I think this was actually one of the better ones to have come out in the past couple of years. It's about these two models, Carl and Yaya. And um, they board a super rich luxury cruise, um, and they encounter all these crazy, wacky, rich people. And then the third act, um, basically, I'm going to spoil, um, the ship goes overboard. And people get marooned on a desert island, Carl and Yaya and some rich people and some of the crew. and. Um, Throughout the second act of the film, you you start to learn about the rich people, and you start to become acquainted with the crew, and in the second act, obviously, the rich people are the ones who are giving all the orders and commands to the crew, but in the third act, interestingly enough, um, some of the crew members, um, specifically a nurse played, not nurse, cleaning lady played by Dolly Leon, Dolly de Leon, sorry, um, end up being at the top so the roles become reversed and I thought that was such a fun way of changing up the genre of you know rich people satire so um, let me start from the beginning the film is divided into three acts the first act is kind of like an argument between Carl and Yaya because Carl wants to not pay for dinner because he always does and yeah, makes more money than him and he's like you know you make more money you should be the one who pays for dinner just this one time and she says no I'm the woman that's not how this relationship works you need to depend on me and first of all great performances I love both of these actors performances in the film Harris Dickinson and Chalby Dean who unfortunately like passed away recently um, I love both of their performances. I especially love Harris Dickinson's performance as Carl because his flavor of, you know, man in this film is very interesting because he clearly does not take any action in this film. And even though he is presented as, like, you know, based on the way he looks, a male alpha. And I think it's kind of saying something about, like, maybe even modern day men, how they act. I don't know if it's trying to say something. I haven't thought that deeply about it, but I do find his character to be really interesting because when I watch him, I'm like, oh my god, you can't make a decision to save your life. And all the decisions you do make are horrible. Like, he is truly, like, ruthless. Like, especially later in the second act, he gets this guy fired by just... Because, like, his girlfriend was just checking him out. Crazy stuff. Um. So... So the second act of the film is them getting on the ship and um, a lot of rich people, a lot of people very kind of on the nose, like, I sell shit. And and then Carl and Yaya are like, what? And the rich man says, I sell shit like fertilizer. Um, And the other one, the other rich couple, you know, they say, I sell grenades. And they say it very matter of fact, casually, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of like rich people are the worst kind of thing. And the crew. Um, I think it's interesting how the crew of the ship, um, there's two layers to it. There's the white the white crew who's at the top. They're the ones saying, Hello, how are you? Can I get you a bottle? All that kind of stuff. And then at the bottom, the cleaning ladies, the chef, all the workers, they're all the way at the bottom of the ship. Um, kind of hidden from the rich people because you who'd want to see that. Just kidding. Um and yeah, uh, the crew has to listen to the the people on the first floor. They have to abide by everything the rich people say until um, the third act comes, and everything becomes flipped. And I thought the use of you know simple things, something as small as a pretzel chip, being as important as a Rolex watch in the third act. Is it on the nose? Yes, I think it is. It definitely is. Like, it's so on the nose. Like, I understand why people are annoyed, but I liked it. I liked how kind of straightforward the film was and how overt it was in its class tones. And I thought the ending when the um the Dolly de Leon character, the one who's in charge, who's at the top of this marooned island, uh, doesn't want to go back. She wants to stay in the top of power, you know? Uh, that kind of changes the film, because then it's like, is this really a film about class power? Uh, is this really a film about, like, I hate rich people, like, rich people are the worst, um, eat the rich kind of film like filmmaking? Or is it really about how, you know, at the end of the day, power structures and the power structures were placed in, um, those are the real problem. Uh, I'm going to talk more about this in my number one um, slot, um, but I think this question, this film is a bit more nihilistic than it seems. It's more about how maybe we can't change, how maybe people, these structures we place, maybe someone does always want to be at the top, and this not going to change. That's just how humans think. And once that question gets stuck in your head, you realize that, yeah, this film can be on the nose, but it's also uh, a bit deeper than that. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I had I love the cinematography of the film uh I love the world of the modeling industry I thought that was very funny especially the beginning scene you know the whole this is a grumpy brand or smiley brand I thought that was so funny again on the nose but again so good like um an amazing cinematography all throughout this film I loved um I loved the shots of the models doing the smiley face happy face thing um the scene where Carl and Yaya are like sitting on this on this um on the beach chairs and you can kind of there's like a fly like kind of zipping around and uh Carl is reading like Ulysses by James Joyce like great cinematography great like little fun details that you know you it's not a detail it's something that you definitely notice and definitely that's something that's just like placed in front of you but uh it's still just so fun to watch and uh I love the you know, just, like, basically the cinematography, the color palette, all the whites and blacks and golds. It's very pretty. Um, Yeah, uh, what else? Oh, I didn't even talk about um, the Woody Harrelson character. Um, I loved his character. I wish there was more of him, but at the same time, I understand why that scene was short or why his character was a very small character, Um, because if he was continuously there I can see how his ramblings his drunk ramblings would be like a bit annoying uh actually if I did have to say that I think the only part in the movie where I was starting to lose interest was when the ship was going under and um the Russian oligarch and the Woody Harrelson communist captain character were like fighting and just constantly bickering for like what felt like 20 minutes I'm sure it was like three or four minutes but that scene definitely took me out a little bit yeah, if I'm to be honest. But the rest of the film, again, it's a number two for a reason. I love it. Um, I would rewatch the film. And I would recommend the film to everyone. It's a great time. And it's definitely a well-thought-out, well-made, well-crafted, fun film. Check it out. Okay, the last film on this list is a film that I think and feel so deeply about that I almost honestly I'm not even sure if I have anything to say about it because I wouldn't even know where to start um my number one film is Tar um Tar by Todd Fields uh stars Kate Blanchett um I'm blanking on the actress's name but she is in Portrait of a Lady on Fire um I'm gonna look her up uh Nina Haas as Kate Blanchett's wife or I'm gonna say Lydia Tár because I mean like it's a movie about a lady named Lydia Tár. Might as well call her Lydia Tár. Um, the actress from Portrait of Lady on Fire is No Noemi Marlant. She is Francesca Tár's assistant, and uh, yeah, this film was the film when I watched in theaters. I truly felt like no other way a movie made me feel ever since um titan which was almost a year ago but honestly i think i felt even stronger i mean it's hard to compare titan and tar because they're two separate films but um i again felt so ecstatic and so overwhelmed and for this film is long it's an hour it's two hours and 30 minutes i literally did not want this movie to end. I wanted to be in the world of Lydia Tarr. I wanted to experience, I wanted this person, I just wanted to follow this person around for the rest of my life, if that sounds weird, it probably is, but Lydia Tarr, um, her character is so fully developed, and again, speaking of election, um, she's very Tracy Flick, she's just this go-getter who wants everything, and, um, I absolutely love those kind of female characters, those kind of female characters who are unapologetic, but they're not badasses. They're actually horrible people, but that's what makes them fun to watch. And that's what makes them true to life because people aren't just this black and white, like good people or bad people, you know? And um, everything about this film, this film is definitely a little cheeky. It definitely knows what it's doing. Like even the apostrophe on the title of the name Tar, especially later when you figure out that Lydia Tar is her name is, first of all, I think it's, like, Linda, and she's from this small town in the middle of, like, rural America, but, um, yeah, everything in this movie, it's, like, it's a movie that, um, has the trappings and casings of a very pretentious movie, but at the center of it, it's very straightforward, and it is making fun of the pretentious people that you would think this movie is about, like, when you watch this film, you think, or see the trailer, you would think, oh, this is a serious film for like serious film people, but I actually think it's a film that kind of makes fun of all the seriousness, um, that people have over the music and film industry. Um, so Tar is about a woman named Lydia Tar. She is considered to be one of the most famous and widely celebrated composers of all time, especially female composers. Um, she's definitely presented to be the most famous female composer of all time and um this is a story about her life and her downward trajectory um people call this movie a movie about cancel culture but it feels unfair to call it just about cancel culture because that part of the film is very small i think this film is more about can you separate the art from the artist and um it's, it uh, going back to what I said about Triangle of Sadness, this film is about power, and the question of power, because Lydia Tarr is a, as she describes herself, U-Haul lesbian. She's a woman, she's a lesbian, um, yet she still craves that power that we see in all of these quote-unquote, you know, straight, white, old males. Um, like Triangle of Sadness, it questions that, like, are are people just going are people in places of power just gonna keep on abusing it? Um is there something wrong with the system itself? Is there something wrong with humans? Um why are we just why are we all fighting for power and control? What is what is the elusive elusivity about it? Um why is it so elusive? I I'm not sure if elusivity is a word, but I'm just trying to say like what is the what is your obsession with power? And um again anyone put in the right position can possibly, you know, take power and um, misuse it, use it for their own personal ulterior motives. Um, because in this film, Tar, um, it's never said up front, but it can be very, very clearly assumed that Lydia Tar um, does has some inappropriate conduct with um, female students, specifically ones who are younger than her much, much younger, and, um, it can be alluded to that because of her, a young woman, um, had committed suicide because of her, uh, her blacklisting her after, you know, it's never exactly said, but sh- she does something, or they have, like, they had, like, a special little relationship, um, it's never said if it's entirely an extremely, like, you know, sexual, like, trading favors for each other relationship, or if it was, you know, simply as presented in the film, like a, "I like you, so I'll help you out thing, but um, it can be very clearly inferred that it's definitely way deeper than, you know, I like you, I'll help you out, you know. She kind of is expecting something. Y- you can get that vibe from all the things she does and um, watching this woman kind of juggle around her her weird personal inner life combined with her career. Um, It makes you wonder about all these other people um, and how they maintain their life, like especially people in power and how, you know, their personal life and their work life might be more intertwined than you think, which is a very disturbing thing to think about. Uh, But yeah, the film starts off with, I think the first 40 minutes of the film are literally two scenes. There's a scene where she's just sitting and talking with, I think his name is Adam Gopnik. I think it's the it's an actual writer for the New Yorker. Um, they they talk about her career and they establish that she's a very good, um, she's a very good talented artist. And then, um, the next scene is like um she's teaching at Juilliard and she's literally berating the student for stating his opinion that like I think it was Bach was, um. Like an unsavory person who didn't have good personal ethics and um she berates him and says you know what if you like let's 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 dissect you then what makes you so great all that kind of stuff um which later does come back into the film um it turns out but um yeah uh the first 40 minutes of the film are absolutely entrancing you know i didn't even think it was 40 minutes i thought like maybe 10 minutes went by but um the pacing of the way they talk and this film is musical itself. Um, there's no score in this film, actually. It's the it's kinda like it's kind of like those other movies where there's no score, where it's like the dialogue and the setting and the transitions, that's the musical um kind of that's the score of the film, the music. Um and I think I read that they actually did the the director Todd Fields and um, his follet artist, they did all their work in some like in some cottage in scotland i don't know if it was scotland but it was something like that and the sound in this film is so uh simple yet detailed um actually everything about this film is so simple yet you can tell there's so many details underneath it uh I i realize those are my favorite kind of films just talking out loud uh movies that present themselves to be very simple but are actually like the most complicated things in the world um I actually do hate it when a movie just tells you everything that's going on. It's kind of nice to have this, you know, subtlety. Um, but so yeah, the film itself, every single scene, it's so musical. Like, um, I think also the film itself is literally a crescendo because the pacing of it is very, it starts off very, 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 very slow there's one or two scenes I mean the pacing is wonderful like the pacing of each individual scene amazing but you know each scene starts off being 20 minutes long 15 minutes long 10 minutes long and slowly slowly by the by the end of the film like each scene is like 30 seconds long and because you know it's a film about power and control and you see Lydia Tarr's life literally at the beginning of the film she's so in control of every aspect of her life but slowly she loses control so hard and fast that each scene has to kind of like take the tempo of the way her life is just kind of uh, is it i think it's actually i think it's called a diminuendo actually i don't you know i'm not even going to try to pretend i know the musical terms just kind of just crashing down no, no no it is a crescendo okay like the crescendo of her life and then the ending the last shot is so funny and so kind of even anti-pretentious that it makes you realize this entire film is just winking at you and saying you know this isn't it, this film is exactly the opposite of what you think it could be you know again like I said you watch it and you think oh it's going to be a very it's going to have all these big words that I'm not going to understand and it's going to have all this like acting and like gesticulating and People walking around and complex camera work, and it does have all that. But at the same time, this film is winking at you and saying, "It's a little silly, isn't it?" um Definitely very Kubrick inspired. I love that little detail that Todd Haynes was not Todd Haynes. I don't know. I keep on thinking Todd Haynes. Todd Fields was in Eyes Wide Shut. He plays Nick Nightingale, and kate Blanchett actually voices one of the the actress that saves Tom Cruise at the secret party in the film. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that this film is very, very um, Kubrick inspired, which I absolutely love. I honestly love any film that's Kubrick inspired. Uh, Kubrick is probably one of the most, like, one of my favorite directors. But yeah, the cinematography was wonderful. I love, I'm obsessed with the Juilliard scene and the way um, the camera just moves and the way the blocking of the actors and all that kind of stuff. It's truly so impressive to watch. It's amazing. And, uh, just there's so many simple simple subtle things in this film and I love how simple you know a simple directorial choice can is made and uh it's very much it's very much it's a film that you watch and you just know you're watching some masters working at their craft I mean Kate Blanchett's performance I feel like I haven't even talked about her performance it's amazing it's the best of the year for me and uh the script again amazing and when you read the script um it's only 90 pages 98 pages long but the film itself is like three hours so i just sit there i want to i want to do a thing where i sit watch the film with the script next to me but you wonder like how something like this is even possible how something like this can even get made or how something like this is even made um i haven't even talked about oh, there's so many things about this film again i want to talk about and i feel like i've been rambling about this film for so long. Um the beginning how the beginning scene is literally just the credits rolling and how another part of this film is about who gets credit and ownership and art and um how you know the actors names are at the end of the film while the cast and crew is all at the beginning for six minutes you have to sit and watch you know crew member number 42 his name or her name being put on screen and you're waiting for the film to start and you have to reflect and think like, all these people made this film. It's not just Todd Haynes. It's not just and Blanchett, you know, working the ropes. Uh, it was a full effort. And we often treat art or any kind of art like it was like a one-man job. Like they did all this. I mean, they were uh, probably the biggest, most, most, like, most influential part of the film, but uh, there's so much credit that needs to be given. Kind of like how Lydia Tarr, a composer, or sorry, not composer, a conductor, a conductor would be nothing if they didn't have the people playing their instruments. And you spend so much time in the life of Tar, you realize that there's a whole orchestra, a whole group of people that are working for her, that are working with her to make the art, but she is the one who gets all the credit. And it's a very, it's a very, it's a very hard question to ask about, like, is film democratic? Should it be democratic? You know, I think there's a quote I will you know what I'm not gonna say it because I want to look it up um I'll probably say it in another episode because I think it's a great quote but um never mind that um yeah I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about this film uh I think I could talk about it for hours which is the problem um yeah it's definitely my favorite film of the year and uh I think I love Todd Fields. I recently also watched Little Children for the first time and I love that film too. And I wish he made more movies because he'd be not making movies. <laughs> I do not know what he'd be doing, but um, that's fine. I'm glad if if Tar comes out once every 16 years, I'm okay with that. I can live with that. But yeah, that was my top film of the year. That was my top 10 list of the year. Uh, I guess this is like the wrap up of episode one. Uh, name of this podcast is still TBD, but I actually had a lot of fun just sitting here and talking because I think these things all in my head, and I realize, you know, I should really just get them out on something so I can, like, free my mind up from all the storage of, like, all my thoughts on these films, and uh, I really enjoy talking about movies. I enjoy talking about art. There's just so many I could talk about anything for hours honestly when it comes to art like any like if there's a movie i really like i could talk about it forever um i just hope that my thoughts are interesting to like anyone basically um that was so yeah this is the end of this episode and um i'm going to stop here for now uh thank you for listening and episode 2 will be coming out soon i will have to figure out what episode 2 is even about if there is a theme to this podcast, pretty much everything other than this episode I have to figure out. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, um, thank you for listening.